This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Carlson, Carlson, världens bästa Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, hoj här kommer Carlson. Carlson, Carlson, ingen faktiskt, ingen annan Carlson vill jag så bra som mig. Carlson, Carlson, Carlson scores! Carlson, Carlson, Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to another episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, the best fantasy hockey podcast in the world, hosted by two guys who own Eric Carlson in their keeper pools. I'm your host, Elon Dubrovsky. It's the All-Star Break. With me, Brian Calm. Hello, Elon. Hello, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to this very special All-Star Break edition of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast, recently called by commenter Spetseration Anxiety as the Siskel and Ebert of hockey, except, Elon, I'm not sure which one that makes me. I think I'm going to take Ebert, if that's all right with you. Well, I think you're skinnier, so maybe you would be Siskel, but okay. I'm very excited for this episode, Brian. We, we can't even talk about this now because we have so much to talk about. So many players have really broken out in the past week, a a lot of activity in people's free agent wires, and we need to cover all of these players, and we're going to get to everything. Before we start, let's mention that we are presented by DauberHockey.com, the best website for fantasy hockey. That's all you need to say. That's all you need to know. I said last week, what more can I say about Dauber Hockey? Because I always mention, you know, the line combos, the starting goalies, the articles, and I said, like, what else is there even to say? And one of our patrons, Chris, commented on our patron-only Facebook group saying, some things about Dauber Hockey. He said, it elevates your hockey consciousness. It's better than the superlative. If Rome had Dauber Hockey, it would never have fallen. It makes ice at room temperature. These are some of the things that are great about Dauber Hockey. But seriously, if you are in a fantasy hockey league and you're trying to win and you're listening to this podcast, so I think you're trying to win and you're not going to Dauber Hockey, there's something wrong with you. Or something wrong with your internet, maybe. We'll give you the benefit <laughs> of the doubt, like you're typing in DauberHockey.com into your browser and it's just not loading. You need a new modem <laughs> or a router or something. But assuming that your internet connection and your fantasy hockey sense are working just fine, then I am sure you are a regular visitor to DauberHockey.com. And of course, one of the big features of DauberHockey.com is the daily ramblings where you get a recap of all the games from the previous day. And one of the last days that there was hockey action was last Tuesday, and there was a big game for the Winnipeg Jets. They destroyed the Arizona Coyotes 5-2, to and one of the noteworthy things was that Nikolai Ehlers had a hat trick, and people started going crazy about Nikolai Ehlers. And you know what? There's good reason for you to get excited about this guy, because he was hot at the beginning of the year, as we all remember. Then he had a really big cold streak, and basically was dropped in most leagues. Like, he was was available in pretty much all of my leagues. Then after this hat trick, people got excited because he's already been on a great streak. He's got six goals and three assists in his last nine games now. And he was down on the third line for a while. But you know, Matthew Perot is injured. They've done some shaking up of the lines. And right now, Ehlers is playing with Mark Shifley and Blake Wheeler. And Wheeler and Ehlers just made some magic happen in this last game against Arizona. People are very excited right now. 
I actually made a bid in the Keevan Carlson Ultimate Patron Fantasy League for Ehlers. I bid $7 and I got him. The next highest guy bid 6 It was such a great feeling to know I made the perfect bid. Brian, I think he went for even more money in your league. Do we think that for the rest of the year, Ehlers is going to go back to what he was doing at the beginning of the year when he was a must-own? Or is this just an aberration? I'd assume as long as he's playing with Wheeler, how can he not put up some points? The incredible thing about Nikolai Ehlers is that even with that hot start he had this season, he needed that hat trick just before the All-Star break to finally crack 20 points on the season in almost 50 games played. And this is in large part because of a long, cold snap that he was mired in. He had just three points in 25 games played. That was sandwiched between that first 11-game run that he started the season with and now his last nine-game run. So those two runs are looking fantastic. And they share one thing in common, and that is that Nikolai Ehlers was playing in the top six for both of them. Earlier this year, we had batted around the idea that the Jets might be able to roll a productive top nine, but clearly they're not there yet, as evidenced by Ehlers' cold streak in the middle part of the season so far. But top six time is the money time for Nikolai Ehlers, and he's seen enough of it to produce the way he has because of injuries to Drew Stafford and Matthew Perot. Now, we know Stafford is back in the lineup, and the last update on Matthew Perot says that he could be ready after the All-Star break, and there's a pretty good chance he's going to earn a spot in the top six at the expense of Ehlers or Stafford. So that's going to be important to watch going forward. I like Ehlers a lot in the top six, but his value definitely does take a dive if he slides out of the top six and back into a top nine situation. Yeah, I guess for everyone who's been picking up Ehlers, they're hoping that management has seen what he can do with Blake Wheeler and they might want to keep that going because, you know, there was Wheeler, Ladd, and Little. That has been the main first line for the Jets, not only this year, but like for the last couple of years. And Ladd has been so cold, so they've been trying to shake things up. And maybe they will just keep Ehlers with Shifley and Wheeler. And then maybe they can roll a second line of Ladd, Little, and Perot. Maybe that bumps Drew Stafford. So yeah, it's definitely something to watch. I agree with you, Brian. As long as Ehlers is in the top six, good things are going to happen. I really hope he doesn't get bumped down. I made this big bid for him. Yeah, well, if it's any solace, it wasn't as big as you said that the bid was in my own cupful division. I think he went for double the amount in the Boras division. Your Boras division is crazy, Brian. People are bidding insane amounts all the time. More like the exciting S division. <laughs> okay. <laughs> So Nikolai Ehlers isn't the only guy who might be a free agent in your league who has been on fire lately. Let's go to San Jose. Let's talk about a couple of guys, Tomas Hurdle and Eunice Donskoy. These guys have really taken off. Let's start with Hurdle. Six goals and five assists in his last 10 games. He's been playing with the Joes, Joe Thornton, Joe Pavelski, who have both, of course, also been amazing. But those guys aren't available. Maybe at this point, Hurdle isn't available either. Hopefully you grabbed it when you had the chance. You know, at first when he got up with the Joes, we said, like we always do, yeah, while he's on the top line, he's going to be good. But the Sharks juggle things around a lot. But He's been able to stick there, and he's been producing so well that maybe he'll be able to stay there for a while. He's been a plus also in almost every game, either zero or a plus. If your league counts plus minus, he's been great for you. We actually have a patron, Peter, who asked us on Facebook if we think that Hurdle could be a point-per-game player for the rest of the year. And I, of course, thought, like, well, no, that's a bit too crazy. But I think a 60-point pace is attainable. And I remember, Brian, you responded being like, really? You think he could hit 60-point? But I feel like if he stays with the Joes, why not? Like, that line is on fire. Hurdle is clearly a very talented player, and I don't see why they would take him off that line. Yeah, like Ehlers, we've noticed over the last few years that Hurdle absolutely needs to be on a top line to be able to put up points, and that's where he is right now, and has stayed for one of the longer stretches we've seen in recent memory alongside Pavelski and Thornton. It's never been a guarantee that he'd pick up points when he got there, which makes his latest run, though, such a really nice thing. 
He's been sort of steady through the year, but like not fantasy relevant steady. Just 15 points in 37 games played up to the end of December. Maybe I'm being generous with that steady designation, but I'm using it because he's actually been steady off the score sheet, specifically in putting shot attempts on net. He's actually second only to Brent Burns in shot attempts taken on the Sharks this year. And his shot attempt total is also high enough to put him in the top 35 league-wide. He also leads all Sharks in high-danger scoring chances so far this year. So while not a ton has happened for Hurdle on the score sheet to date, he's been doing a lot of things right all year long. So it's nice to see him starting to cash in on that. And while he's with the Joes, I don't want to get too excited. I know, Elon, we've had someone ask about a 60-point pace. I think a 55-point pace should be fair for him the rest of the way. He's not a high percentage converter, and he's been helped along by the fact that Pavelski and Thornton this season to date have been high percentage converters. Well, hey, if the last 10 games is any indication, he could be a point-per-game player. But of course, that's out of the question. That's why I thought maybe 60 points. But, you know, I guess we'll see. 55-point pace, 60-point pace. It's really only the difference of a couple of points by the end of the year. So definitely a guy that I think you want to pick up. I think more interesting is Eunice Donskoy, who's someone that did get a chance in the top line. A lot of people have had a chance with the Joes. Melker Carlson was there for a while, and he's actually a big loser right now in terms of fantasy because he's not even in the top six or the top nine. I'll get to that. But Donskoy first, he's also doing really well. He's got five points in his last five games, eight points in his last 10. He's been playing with Logan Couture and Tommy Wingles and definitely cashing in playing with a star like Couture. And like I said about Melker, the interesting thing is the Sharks have actually split up their superstars. They have three lines, one with Pavelski and Thornton, one with Marlowe, and another with Couture. So a lot of the Sharks players get to play with these superstars. Melker Carlson, though, is the one who's on the other line lately with Chris Tierney and Danis Zubris. So definitely Melker Carlson becomes a snoozer. But Brian, what do you think about Eunice Donskoy? We were excited about him at the beginning of the year when we saw that he would have a chance in the top six, but, you know, quickly forgot about him. But now he's on another hot streak. Do we think he could keep this up? Donskoy is actually in the same sort of position as Hurdle in the fact that he is playing with players that can help him produce. He hasn't been able to be somebody who can generate his own offense at this point in his career. But in the meantime, he has been doing well in the shot attempt and scoring chance department. Better than you might have guessed, he's still top five in a lot of the scoring chance metrics, like scoring chances four per 60 minutes. Also shot attempts four per 60 minutes. Although keep in mind, some of these are on ice stats. They're not necessarily personal stats. While Hurdle personal stats were quite high. Donskoy is showing up more in the on-ice category. So it's what he and his linemates have been able to do, which is not to take anything away from him. In fact, it shows that he has been able to be part of a productive line that can contribute to a team's offense. And I think it's a great thing for him to be playing with Couture. In fact, I really like what the Sharks have done because they have spread out their offense into a top nine. And unlike the Jets, they're actually able to roll out three productive offensive lines. You look at each one, you've got Hurdle scoring on one of them with the Joes. And then on the other, you've got Donskoy and Couture is finally going as well. And then on the other, you've got Marlowe and Ward. And Ward has not fallen off completely. He's still at 31 points this season, including a whole bunch in his last seven or eight games. So it seems like this is a good thing for the Sharks. And I'm hoping that that merry-go-round that seems to rotate players amongst those top two lines a whole lot sort of stops for the time being. And they can roll with three reasonably productive lines for the foreseeable future. Yeah, Donskoy is only 1.2% owned in ESPN right now. So that might be a really good value add if you're in a very deep league. I want to mention one more shark, Brian. We have to talk about Mark Edward Vlasic. He has just had such an amazing year, and I feel like he's so underrated for what he's been doing. He's got 25 points in 45 games this year, which is great output for a defenseman. That's like almost a 50-point pace. He's got eight points in his last 10. He's taken three or more shots in half of those games, so he's giving you shots if that's a category 
category. He's been only pluses, just like I said about Hurdle. Mark Edward Vlasic has been zero or higher in the plus-minus category. Also, he gives you tons of blocks. So if you're in a league where you have all of these different categories, like he's probably been one of your more valuable fantasy assets this year. Like Obviously, he's no Brent Burns, but I think this might be a career year for him, right? It has been a heck of a year for Mark Edward Velasic. He has as many points today after 45 games than he has ever had since the 2008-2009 season in which he set his career high with 36 points in 82 games. He's just 11 points short of getting there. So he needs those over his next 32 games in that year. He needed 21 power play points to get there. That was the last season that he actually had more than three power play points until this one. Now he has six power play points already after just 45 games. So hopefully he can keep that going strong. His shooting percentage is a touch high. Although last year it was high too and he wasn't taking as many shots last year as he was this year. Already 84 shots, just 14 shots less than he had in 25 more games played last season. So all this to say he's doing a lot more this year in a lot less time than he has in years past. A great guy to add has really emerged as a reliable blue line option. He's been like free agent fodder for several years, you know, drop an ad as he goes on little runs and whatnot. But like you said, Elon, now he is a legitimate multi-cat contributor to your fantasy team and should not be a free agent in any deepish league at this point in the season. Yeah, and I guess it's up to you if you are a Vlasic owner. You know, like Brian said, his shooting percentage is a lot higher than his career average, so maybe you could try to sell high. But, you know, don't just give him away because he might be able to keep this up and he's helping in all these other categories. So way to go, Mark Edward Vlasic. Let's move on to Columbus now. Let's look at the score sheet from the game on January 25th that the Blue Jackets had against Montreal. I think there was a typo because it kept saying goal from Atkinson assisted by Jenner and Dubinsky. And I kept saying that over and over and thinking, how can this be? Like, they're clearly just copying the same goal over and over. But no, there were three goals in that game scored by Atkinson, assisted by Jenner and Dubinsky. That line is doing amazing. In fact, Brandon Dubinsky in particular, has 14 points in his last 13 games. And Brian, I remember when Johansson was traded, you and I were talking about Wenberg or Dubinsky and who we like better. And I'm pretty sure I said Dubinsky. And he has definitely been the one who has become the bright star. You know, He's the new number one top center on the team. But, you know, those three guys, they're not the only ones doing well on Columbus. Brandon Sad is also on a nice run with four points in his last four games, playing with Hartnell and Wenberg. And really, the one player on Columbus who's being left out in the cold right now is Nick Foligno, who just came back from injury, and now he's on the third line. So basically, my question to you is, Brian, these are a lot of players who are producing, and that might be free agents in leagues. Like, we have Atkinson, Jenner, Dubinsky, Hartnell, Saad, Foligno. I know this might be a tough question, but, like, can you give a quick sort of ranking of these guys, or at least, like, who are the ones you would want, and who are the ones that you think should be left as free agents? I can, but first, I do want to acknowledge that so far, you have been right in the Dubinsky-Wenberg side bet that we made, and I think you're going to continue to be right. I think I've changed my mind, although I do want to point out that it sounds really lopsided, the way you just put it with Dubinsky's run, and Wenberg only has, like, seven points, half as many points in the same amount of time, but Dubinsky had five points in the last two games, and that really makes it look a little sillier than it actually is. And Dubinsky got those points against the Montreal Canadiens. So do those points even count right now? <laughs> okay, yeah, good point. We have to consider players' points minus the games they play against a carry priceless Montreal Canadiens. And also to stabilize my ego a little bit, I do want to point out Kim Atkinson specifically. We mentioned him earlier this year at the start saying, maybe this is the year we stop waiting for him. We've always wanted him to be like a 55-60 point breakout player, even in the same vein as Ryan Johansson, maybe Ryan Johansson light in terms of his total point production. 
couple 40-point seasons had a lot of people down. This season, he is poised to break 50 points for the first time in his career, taking more shots than he has in the past, converting more of them into goals as well. It's been a very good season for him. And what's really impressive about him is that only three of his 32 points have come on the power play. So he's doing a lot of work at even strength. But to get back to your question about ranking all these Blue Jackets, Elon, it is kind of tough because right now they look to be rolling two second lines, more or less. It's really a mix of top six talent with really not a top line forward in that mix at all, unless you count Scott Hartnell and Brandon Saad as those guys. I still don't see Dubinsky as a guy who was born to play that 1C role, but as long as he's there and actually seeing three to five minutes more than Wenberg, who's the next best center on Columbus, I'd consider him the number one center, and I'd consider him probably the team's most valuable fantasy own right now. And then looking at Saad, Hartnell, Jenner, and Atkinson, and Foligno even, I think it's all a bit of wash. It's like, I want Dubinsky the most, and then all the other guys are about even. Hartnell gets some shots, so that helps. Saad also gets some shots and goes on a run. So I guess I like them more than Jenner and Atkinson, but Jenner and Atkinson are the ones playing with Dubinsky and seeing a little bit more ice time as well. Yeah, plus to be fair, Boone Jenner, six shots on goal in his last game, again, against Montreal, but he's had other six-shot games. Like, Jenner is no slouch when it comes to shots on goal. Neither is Atkinson, actually. How is Columbus so bad? Why are they the worst team in the league? They have all these good scores. Well, but they're not good scores. That's the problem. It's it's a bunch of second-line talent trying to fill a top six, and that top line is just vacant right now. Also, their blue line is just horrendous, and Bobrovsky can't stay injured. So there are a lot of things going on in Columbus. They have a lot of decent options at forward right now, but there are no game breakers, especially not with Johansson anymore, especially with Foligno not repeating the season he had last year. And right now, Elon, you mentioned he's out in the cold. He's on a third line playing with Kirby Reichel and William Carlson, who of course we love, but we don't expect a whole lot from Foligno while he's there. So I guess he's at the bottom of the totem pole and you're just watching to see who's playing the most minutes, who's seeing the most power play time. And that's essentially going to decide who is the most valuable forward of that group. Yeah, I think they'll be a fun team to watch. I just, I don't think they're going to be the worst team in the league come the end of the year. I guess we'll have to wait and see. One team that was one of the worst teams for a long time, but now has really been on a roll are the Anaheim Ducks. I know we seem to talk about them every week, but there's a player that has really broken out lately. That is Shea Theodore. And we talked about the Ducks D when Cam Fowler got injured. And I remember saying maybe now's a good time to grab Hampus Lindholm because he's probably going to step up. And Lindholm has stepped up in terms of minutes and he's getting some blocks. But Shea Theodore is the one who's been on the top power play. And Theodore has really been doing a good job of convincing people that he deserves to be there. He has six points in his last six games on the top power play. He's only averaging around 18 minutes, but still getting all of these points. And a lot of people got really excited about Shea Theodore because on one of the Dauber Daily Ramblings a couple of days ago, he said Shea Theodore is a must-own, and he said that he's the next Shane Gustafsberger. And so, of course, the people are like, oh my god, that's amazing. You know, then news came out that Theodore got sent to the minors for the All-Star break. But you'd assume maybe he'll come back. But then again, maybe he won't because Cam Fowler is going to be coming back from injury. And apparently Theodore is the only D that can be sent down without having to clear waivers. But at the same time, I've been reading some rumors that maybe Anaheim is going to trade one of their defensemen. Maybe for like Jordan Eberle, there's been some rumors like that. So at some point, Theodore might end up staying on the team as a top power play defenseman. And if that's the case, there must be a lot of upside there. So Brian, like, do you agree with Dauber? Is Theodore a must add at this point if he's a free agent in your league? And let's say if I have Hampus Lindholm, should I make that swap? Well, we did already think the Anaheim blue line was crowded with three legitimate options for scoring from the blue line and Fowler, Lindholm, and Vatnin already there. 
And now they add a 20-year-old to the mix who has 27 points in 37 career AHL games before being called up. Now he's doing what you just said he was doing, Elon. And now we're getting more gray hairs about how to sort out four defensemen on that Anaheim blue line who are all candidates for power play time, for big even strength minutes totals. And the fact that Theodore also has a two-way contract also even makes it even more difficult to predict the situation because he can be sent up and down on a whim. Maybe they leave him in the AHL for a little more seasoning, work on other parts of his game because they have enough players on their NHL team to handle scoring from the blue line. The reason I'm saying all of these uncertainties, Elon, is because I don't know how this is going to play out. The one interesting thing that there is to note for sure, though, is like you said, Dauber made the comparison to Ghost Bear, and it's there in his minutes too, because earlier this season, when Ghost Bear was just starting, we talked about how he wasn't seeing a ton of even strength minutes, but the percentage share of his power play time that he was getting was disproportionately high, and we're seeing the same thing so far in Theodore's deployment. He has been getting play as a power play specialist, not amongst the top minute munchers for the entire game on defense, but when it comes to power play time, he is out there almost more than half the time for every single game. That is a very good thing. Unlike Ghost Bear, though, there are other options on the Anaheim blue line. We need to remember that in Philadelphia, when Ghost Bear was called up and Strait was injured, not only did they not have anyone capable of manning that power play, but they also didn't have anyone capable of really playing NHL defense on a consistent basis. Anaheim is in a very different position right now with so many options at their disposal, and for some reason, Kevin BX is signed to like a $12 million contract over the next six years. So I don't know if Theodore's entry as a mainstay on that blue line is going to be as smooth as Ghost Bears, but he has given us production that gives us every reason to believe that he should be able to at least make a very good case for himself to make that transition. So you asked me what to do about Lindholm. Should I drop him for Theodore? Short answer... Yeah, I think I would. In the short term, I'd make that move. I feel like Lindholm has already been around the free agent fodder levels of production for parts of this season already. With Fowler coming back, I don't think he's about to really explode. Even though towards the start of the season, Elon, you and I were optimistic that he could be one of the main producers on that blue line, but it just hasn't panned out that way. I would probably drop him for Theodore and just cross my fingers and hope Theodore returns to the big league lineup after the All-Star break and continues getting this power play specialist treatment. Yeah, I guess if you wanted to be conservative, you could wait until it's confirmed that Theodore will come back and then make that switch. Lindholm, by the way, has been like pretty valuable, maybe not for points, but he has been putting up a lot of blocks lately, which is why I like him in the Keeping Carlson League. But at the same time, with Fowler back, maybe that's going to reduce Lindholm's deployment again. So yeah, like you say, lots of question marks with the Anaheim blue line. Very hard to predict from the goalies to the defense to the forwards. We never know what's going to happen with Anaheim. Let's move on to the next player who's probably a free agent in your league and has been on fire lately. Let's talk about Andre Burakovsky on the Washington Capitals. He's got nine points in his last six games. And I guess that's not surprising considering he's been playing on a line with Evgeny Kuznetsov, who is fantastic, and Justin Williams, who I guess tags along and he's pretty good himself, I guess. But this line has been on fire. Burakovsky is on an amazing pace. And the thing that's especially impressive about it, but also maybe scary, is he's doing it with not that many minutes. Like He scored two goals in Washington's last game against Philadelphia in only 12 minutes of play. He had an 11-minute game a couple of games ago, but got to assist in that game. So on one hand, you know, that must be really great for his points per 60 minutes. But on the other hand, do you really want to pick up a player who's not playing that many minutes? Because how can you expect him to be able to produce? But I guess he has been doing it. He's on a great line. Brian, do we think that he's going to be able to keep this up? Or is this just a short burst that is going to fall off at some point? Only 1.5% owned in ESPN. So you probably could get him if Brian says you should. 
There's a lot to like about Andrei Burakovsky's recent production, but if anybody thinks that he is one of the leading scorers in Washington over the last 10 or 12 games during this run that he's on, you are sorely mistaken. He still ranks fourth with 11 points in 12 games on the Washington Capitals for the last month, of course, behind Kuznetsov, Backstrom, and Ovechkin. Evgeny Kuznetsov has 18 points in his last 12 games played, and that is the reason why Andrei Burakovsky has been able to put up the points during this run. We already talked about this year how Kuznetsov is just a wrecking machine as a second-line center and has already gotten Justin Williams up to fantasy-relevant production consistently through the course of the season, and now he is giving that same gift to Burakovsky, who, like you said, Elon, is not seeing a ton of minutes and is also not shooting the puck a whole lot. In his last seven games, there have been four occasions where he has only put up one shot or even no shots at all. So if you're looking for peripheral contributions, you're not going to get them from him. But of course, points are a lot more important than that. And as long as he's playing with Kuznetsov, I imagine he can put up points at a reasonable pace. If there is somebody burning a hole in your roster right now, he wouldn't be a bad person to replace him with. But I don't know if you can expect a point per game pace with him the rest of the way. But I'm going to keep running on this sentence because I feel like Kuznetsov can do that for just about any reasonably talented NHL player as he has for Justin Williams so far this year. Williams himself is nearing a 60-point pace so far this season, and I think anyone playing with Kuznetsov is going to have a decent chance at going on a 55-point pace during their time playing with him. Yeah, okay, so how good is Kuznetsov? Like, next year, when you approach your drafts, like, right now, Kuznetsov is 6th in the league in scoring, 49 points in 47 games, ahead of guys like Taylor Hall, Evgeny Malkin, Tarasenko, Nicholas Backstrom, Sidney Crosby, though, of course, that we know is an aberration that won't repeat itself. Would you be drafting Evgeny Kuznetsov in, like, the top 10 of your draft next year? Is he now a bona fide elite player in the league? In a keeper league, yeah, I'd lean towards absolutely. But does he crack that top 10? I think this year's drafts had Evgeny Malkin right on the cusp of that top 10 in a lot of pools. So I wonder if you can really still pick Kuznetsov ahead of Malkin or if Malkin jumps up ahead of, say, a guy like Stamkos and Kuznetsov makes that jump with him. All right, so Brian, right now, if you could have Kuznetsov or Giroux for the rest of the season, who would you want? Claude Giroux with 39 points in 47 games. Kuznetsov, like I said, 49 points in 47 games. I'm going to call it a push, and I'm a little stumped about it because Giroux has all those things you want to see, plus the talent to be able to cash in on it in terms of being a top-line player. And Kuznetsov, it's like every time you consider him, it's just like, well, he's on the second line. He doesn't even play on the first line, although he is on that incredible first power play unit. But that is always a huge red flag in fantasy when you're looking at a player and they're not playing on the first line. Even if they're putting up first line production, your thought is, well, how much longer can they do that from their spot on the roster? Kuznetsov might be the rare exception of someone who can. I'm going to say they're both good for roughly point-per-game paces over the rest of the year. That's fair, and I guess maybe a more fair comparison would be like Nicholas Backstrom versus Evgeny Kuznetsov. And to be fair, Backstrom's actually having a great year, underrated as always. No one ever talks about him. He's got 45 points in 44 games. If you remember, he was injured for a little bit at the beginning, but you know he's basically on the same pace as Kuznetsov, but of course he gets the benefit of playing with Ovechkin to get a lot of those points. Kuznetsov does it, like we said, with Burakovsky and Justin Williams. Man, imagine if Kuznetsov ever gets on that top line. Oh my goodness. Okay. You know, another underrated guy, by the way, speaking of Nicholas Backstrom, we should mention Patrice Bergeron. I'm looking at this list of leading scorers in the league. Bergeron has 44 points in 49 games. And I feel like on Boston, we talk about Krejci and the amazing year he's been having. And yeah, Krejci has 36 points in 39 games. But like I said, Bergeron has 44 points in 49 
nine game. So just as good. And he's taking a ton more shots. Like Bergeron has been the more valuable fantasy own than David Krejci, especially if you consider the fact that Krejci has been injured and is more prone to get injured. You know, Bergeron hasn't hit 70 points since 0607. Do you think he could do that this year and break his best point mark in the past 10 years? So what's even different about Bergeron this year? That's the first question that pops into my head and looking at the basic stuff that I usually try and use to figure out if a player is trending up or down, it all looks the same. In fact, a couple things are actually trending downward. His shooting percentage is low right now, which would make me think, if I didn't know his point total, that he probably doesn't have as many as he has in the past. And his IPP is also the lowest it's been in essentially his whole career, at least since 2007-2008. He's getting in on a lesser percentage of the goals scored while he's on the ice than he ever has. But this is all at even strength. So I take a look down at his power play stuff, and boom, there it is. He already has 20 power play points on the season. He hasn't had 20 power play points since that 2006 season where he had 70 points in 77 games played, and that came the year after his career high season where he had 73 points. And one of the ways he's gotten to 20 power play points this season is with the nine goals he scored thanks to a 30% power play shooting percentage. He's just on fire. Anytime the Bruins are on the man advantage, he's doing fantastic to the point that he already has 19 goals on the season. He had 23 all of last year. And barring something terribly unforeseen, he could be ready to post his third best goal scoring total of his career. So he's doing everything he's always done at even strength, but he's added a power play success element to that game. And that is what's taking his production to the next level this year. As for Bergeron versus Krejci, I still feel like Krejci has the more consistently higher offensive upside. In fact, his points per 60 has been fantastic so far this year. Second only to Ryan Spooner on the Bruins. But his injury history certainly makes me concerned. If I feel comfortable enough to know that Bergeron is good for 60 or 65 points in a season, then I don't necessarily want to take the risk that Krejci could be on a 70-point pace but miss 20 or 25 games each year. So I would probably stick with Bergeron. Yeah, plus you're getting more shots on goal from Bergeron. So maybe we should be giving him credit. We keep on giving Ryan Spooner credit. So there you go. Patrice Bergeron, he's been amazing. And I guess since we're giving kudos to players, here's another player, Brian, that we haven't talked about very much, but we have to mention Jack Eichel. Did you know that he's got 20 points in his last 18 games? He's been fantastic. And he had this five-game pointless streak mid-December. Maybe people were wondering if this was going to be the year that he was really going to break out like people thought. But at this point, I think it's safe to say this guy has arrived. He is a star in the league. The Calder race this year is so interesting. There's so many contenders. You've got Panarin, Eichel, Ghost Bear. McDavid is coming back. Who knows what he'll be able to do in the second half of the year. But if I had to pick a winner right now, I don't know. I have the feeling with the way Eichel has been playing, I think it's going to be him. Oh, I didn't even mention Dylan Larkin. But no, I think it's going to be Eichel. You know, right now, the points leader for rookies is Artemi Panarin with 46, and Eichel's way down with 34. But if you look at just goals, Eichel's only one goal behind Panarin, and Eichel had a slower start. Panarin's been amazing all year, and I'm not saying that Panarin's going to slow down, but if Eichel keeps up the pace that he's been on lately, he should be able to take the lead at least in goals. Brian, do you think Eichel's going to keep this up? If we look at the NHL season in chunks of thirds, two have passed so far, and they've been very different thirds for Jack Eichel. The first third, everybody got super excited when he started scoring a couple goals in the first few games of the season, but he only managed 12 points in his first 24 games over October and November. But about partway through December, he started going wild. He has 20 points in his last 18 games played, really started to turn it on just before the Christmas break, and then came back 
seemingly unstoppable from that Christmas break. I remember I drafted him this season, not because I was dying to draft him, but just because he seemed like the best option at the time. I had stuck with him through the first couple months of the year, two and a half months, as a matter of fact, and was just starting to shop him. Of course, you're talking about the Keeping Carlson League, which is a one-year league and not a keeper. Otherwise, you wouldn't be shopping Eichel. Oh, for sure. Yeah, so this is a one-year league. I was just starting to shop him, and I was really giving him the Christmas break to get his bearings and figure things out, having, you know, just a hope in the back of my head, probably more than it was a hunch, that something was going to happen, and something has definitely clicked. Again, the Sabres are also healthier than they have been for most of the season right now, and the team is just looking generally improved. Even if they're not winning a whole lot more games and they're still struggling at the bottom of the standings, they're looking a lot better while doing it compared to the last two, three, four years. Eichel is a reason for that, but he's also a beneficiary of it, and that's why I think over the rest of the season, he's still going to be able to produce at a very, very high clip. 20 points every 18 games might be asking a little bit much, but I'm hoping for like a 60-point pace going forward as a floor, and that's a really high expectation. There aren't a lot of NHL players who produce that much in this day and age. Yeah, I don't see a reason why he shouldn't be able to keep up at least a 60-point pace, considering he's been over a point per game now for like a month. That's amazing for Jack Eichel. You know, we talked about this Calder race, and I brought up Ghost Bear, and I guess we brought him up earlier also when we were talking about Shea Theodore, but we just have to mention really quickly, Ghost Bear now has 22 points in 29 games on the season. That's a 62-point pace! And if you remember last year, we were so excited about Mark Streit doing so well, he had 52 points at the end of the year. So Ghost Bear is not just the new Mark Streit, he is surpassing what Streit had done we still sometimes get questions about Ghost Bear. I don't even understand how it's happening. Like recently, we got a question about like Ristolainen versus Ghost Bear. Also, someone on Twitter asked about Nick Letty versus Ghost Bear. I feel like the answer to me, and Brian, maybe correct me if I'm wrong if I'm too excited. I feel like the answer is always, always Ghost Bear. I think he's amazing. I think he might be like the next John Klingberg. Like it's the same type of situation where he's on this amazing power play. What happens at even strength almost doesn't matter because the Philadelphia power play is so strong and he's the main guy and there's no competition. Very much like what we were saying about Klingberg at the end of last year. Like, I feel like Gosper might be one of the top five defensemen, at least in terms of offense for fantasy. Am I going too crazy? Like, I actually have Gosper, who I picked up as a free agent in one of my leagues where I am only allowed to keep two defensemen each year, and I've been keeping Carlson and Justin Falk for the past couple of years, and I've felt really good about it. Now I'm wondering, I'm pretty sure I'm going to be keeping Ghost Bear over Falk. Like, calm me down or tell me if I'm right. He's only 22 years old, and he's already on such a great pace. It's amazing. Ghost Bear definitely continues to make his case, and maybe a more apt comparison than Klingberg, Elon, would be the next Mark Streit. Like, that's the role he's stepping into, and he's been able to step into it very smoothly, and Mark Streit has decidedly been placed onto that second unit out of reach of the sort of production that he was able to put up before, leaving Ghost Bear alone at the helm, and he's been doing a fantastic job of it, but I get the Klingberg spirit of it as somebody who came up partway through a season as a rookie and was able to put up huge points. In fact, Shane Ghost Bear, if you look at all defensemen in the league who have played more than 500 minutes in all situations this season, he's number one in points per 60, and I'm sure that makes you so excited, Elon, even though he is ahead of our beloved Eric Carlson, even, followed by Burns, Klingberg, Latang, Carlson, Barry, Shattenkirk, Subban, and Roman Yosi rounds out that top 10. Yeah, it's pretty hard to be the top in points per 60 when you play 30 minutes a game like Carlson does. I think that we could give him a pass on that. Yeah, well, in second is not really a terrible thing to happen 
either considering that he has played three times the minutes that Ghost Bear has in all situations. So talking top five, though, I think that might be, I don't know if I'm ready to make that commitment to him yet. Top 10, definitely. I think he's in there. And Elon, I know you're hard on me about this thing that I said to someone on Facebook that Ghost Bear isn't a keeper. Maybe it was more in the context of the league. I'd have to revisit that specific conversation. But I do think Ghost Bear is keeper worthy in a lot of leagues all of a sudden. And the numbers are there to back it up. He's top five in shots per 60 minutes. He's top five in shot attempts per 60 minutes. He's just been fantastic all around this year, doing all the things that you'd hope for from an offensive producing blue liner. And if you already thought you had your defensive keeper set going into next year and you added Ghost Bear partway through this year, uh, your decision just got a lot harder. Yeah, definitely. It's been an exciting year. There's been so many good free agents. I think this has been a great year. That's an example of why you shouldn't be so focused on just trading for draft picks and thinking like you're going to give yourself such an advantage by doing better in the draft. Like the draft is very important, but guys like Panarin, Ghost Bear, like all these rookies that we've talked about, we didn't expect them to be so good. Then we have guys like Kuznetsov who maybe you were able to draft late. So it's just been a really fun year for fantasy in terms of finding these diamonds in the rough and people that we didn't expect to be good that are all of a sudden like our most valuable players. Brian, we still have more to talk about in this episode. I want to talk about some outjuries. And then of course, we've been too excited. So we should probably bring up some snoozers. Before we get to that, we've got a bit of an announcement for next week's episode of Keeping Carlson. We are going to try something new. The next episode of Keeping Carlson is going to be a live episode. We're going to record it live next Thursday, February 4th on Blab. We're going to start at around 7.30. We're going to tweet out the details. Definitely follow us on Twitter to get the link and how you could join us. We're going to have a lot of fun. It's basically going to be like a patron cast, but for any listener of Keeping Carlson could come and watch, participate in the chat. We're very excited for this. Again, this is next Thursday at around 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time. So definitely try to make an effort to join us. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. The first ever live Keeping Carlson regular episode. And just to be clear, Elon, this is a live show for everybody. This is not a patron cast. This is not a patrons only event. If you've always wanted to be in a patron cast but haven't been able to support the show in the past and want to see what it's all about and hear us talk live and hear all the mistakes we make on a regular basis when we are doing it live, then you should definitely come down to this show. It's going to be really easy. You do need a Twitter account beforehand, so make sure you've got that out of the way. But we know we have a lot of Twitter followers who already do, and we really hope to see you all there. Yeah, we're also working on some special guests that might show up along the way. But we've mentioned the patrons. We have to say thank you so much to the patrons who are supporting the show. We've been having a lot of fun on the Facebook group, even in the All-Star break. It's been a good time for people to start maybe thinking about their keepers. Now's the time where you're probably making a push for your fantasy hockey playoffs, or maybe you're already secured in the playoffs and you're trying to make decisions on how you can get your roster just right to take that championship so why not become a patron of keeping carlson joining our patron only facebook group where you could get advice from so many smart people you could come to our patron casts it's a lot of fun so give it a try if you want keepingcarlson.com slash patron we ask for five dollars a month and you could join the patron program but okay brian we still have some content that we want to get through in this episode and i want to talk about a couple of outries two players who came back to play just one game before the all-star break let's start with john carlson who was out for a long time with washington their number one top power play defenseman a huge valuable fantasy asset he came back didn't do too much in his first game and only played like 19 minutes which is a lot lower than he usually does actually he didn't even play on the top power play I assume he was just getting eased back into the lineup so Matt Nitzkanen still had a chance to be the main guy there he played 25 minutes and was on the top power play I assume though that Carlson is going to take his rightful spot and if you've been enjoying 
Niskanen's position in the lineup and his very nice run of production, eight points in his last 12 games, I think now might be the time to sell high if you can, if people don't realize that this is just because Carlson was out. You could do that, but make sure you really do appreciate that Niskanen has some actual fantasy value with or without Carlson in the lineup. I mean, he had been cold for a while until getting this promotion with Carlson out of the lineup, but to start the season, he had 12 points in 23 games, 38 shots on goal, almost 30 blocks, a handful of hits too. He's been a steady multi-cap producer all year, which I can't forget because I drafted him and then dropped him like two weeks into the season, probably while keeping Alex Semin on my roster. So while you might want to try and sell high on Matt Niskanen, don't think you're pulling the wool over somebody else's eyes because they might do it to you if you are thinking that Matt Niskanen is worthless now that Carlson is back in the lineup. Okay, yeah, that's a good point. I kind of did assume that, but you're right. And I'm taking a look now. Niskanen does block some shots, but of course he's been playing so many minutes. That's probably going to go down with Carlson back. Just 10 for your expectations, but maybe you're right. He's definitely not worthless now. He is owned in 100% of leagues. It must be for a reason. And another guy who came back for one game after a long injury is Brandon Sutter on the Vancouver Canucks. He returned finally for their game against Nashville and better return than Carlson because he had a goal and he took three shots in the game. And you know what? Brandon Sutter returned to a pretty plum position in the lineup. He was playing on the top line with Daniel Sedin and Yannick Hansen. By the way, Henrik Sedin has been injured. I don't know. We haven't mentioned that on the show, but yeah, that's the case right now. Hopefully it's not long-term. But in the meantime, Sutter with Sedin and Hansen has been the top line, and Sutter found himself on the top power play with Burroughs, Sedin, Redding Verbata, and of course Alex Edler on defense. And we've been saying for a while that Bo Horvat's been on this amazing run, but I've been kind of thinking, oh, I wonder how that's going to be affected with Brandon Sutter coming back. Of course, Horvat gets to stay on that second line with Verbata and Berchi since Henrik Sedin is injured now, but I imagine when Henrik Sedin is back, things are going to get shaken up. So this is good news for Brandon Sutter, and maybe you're starting to get a little wary about Bo Horvat. Of course, Horvat has kept up the amazing pace every week since we brought him up at first. He hasn't slowed down, but I guess the reason to be wary would be that with Sutter back, maybe Horvat gets pushed down the lineup because Sutter was above him before in the top six while Horvat wasn't. So it'll definitely be an interesting situation to monitor. Yeah, well, that situation is only going to come into play once Sedin returns. He obviously didn't make it back before the All-Star break. We'll see how soon he can make it back afterwards. There has been no real update on his status beyond this weekend. And in the meantime, I like them both a little bit. Like Bo Horvat has actually still been doing well on that second line and riding for Bada has been able to put in a few points with Bo Horvat in the meantime too. Eh, not really. Well, he just had a little run of four points in six games, which is, I guess, a little exciting for any of the people who've really stuck it out with Rabada, although I know their ranks are certainly dwindling. As for Sutter, he's a guy that you probably know I don't feel great about. I didn't like him much in Pittsburgh. I didn't like him in Vancouver, even when he did start the season with five points in five games, thanks to two big multi-point efforts in the first couple weeks of the season had gone cold after that before getting injured. But now that he's back in the lineup on that top line, centering Daniel Sedin, even if Yannick Hansen is on the other side, I still like him. I think his fantasy value is probably higher than it will be for the rest of the season once Sedin comes back and takes back his spot on the top line. I don't think Sutter's going to have much value when he's not playing with Sedin, but it might be worth your while to grab him while he is. Yeah, top line and top power play. He'll probably get bumped from that top power play as well when Henrik Sedin comes back. Right, so this is like a very short-term stream, hopefully, assuming Sedin is back soon. If anybody wants to make a move for Brandon Sutter, you'd be well advised to check Henrik Sedin's status regularly to know when to drop Sutter. Yeah, I don't know though, if Sutter could then go to the second line and take over both Horvat spot. That's what I'm saying. I guess you'll just have to monitor and see what happens when Henrik Sedin comes back once the Canucks are actually all healthy and see how everything shakes out. But I'm saying that Brandon Sutter 
probably can best produce when paired with a Sedine and when he's without a Sedine, I really don't have a ton of faith in him. So even if he does go to the second line and play with, say, Radim Verbata, I still don't expect a whole lot of him that's fantasy relevant. That's fair. But then at least then at that point, you would know that you need to be concerned about Bo Horvat. So there's still going to be some implications. Yes, absolutely. Many implications. <laughs> okay, then there's also a couple of outjuries that haven't happened yet, but they are upcoming. There's Connor McDavid. Apparently, he's going to be back in the next game. We've talked about the Oilers so many times, but just FYI, get ready to activate Connor McDavid. Very exciting. And the other one, Jaden. Schwartz is coming soon. And this is a guy who we actually talked about on the last patron cast. We were being asked what we can expect from him when he comes back. And remember, he had 63 points in 75 games last year on that STL line. He was fantastic. And he comes back probably to a good spot, right? Like St. Louis's lines right now, they've been mixed around a bit, but we've been seeing Stasny with Steen and Troy Brower. So you could put Schwartz in there instead of Brower. Or we've been seeing Tarasenko with Latera and Fabrice. You could put Schwartz right back on that STL line. So there's definitely a spot for Schwartz in the roster. Is there any reason to not expect a 60-point pace just like he was giving us last year? Or even higher, actually. But I think at least 60-point pace for this year would be reasonable. Definitely reasonable. Nobody should be down on Jaden Schwartz because he's been injured. Maybe you might be down on, like, his first week or two back, but the Blues need him very badly right now. They need to solidify that top six, and he's going to be a big part of making that happen. We haven't seen enough from him this year to really get a sense of if he can continue everything, but essentially he's been on a 60-point pace or thereabouts for the last two seasons, and has shown a lot of skill in scoring goals. And until he shows me otherwise, I don't see any reason to disbelieve that that's what he's going to bring to the team when he returns to the lineup. Okay, and like I said, let's bring the mood down a little bit. Let's talk about a few snoozers. Players who, you know, we call them snoozers, but whenever we say it, they always end up doing really well. We say snoozers, by the way, as opposed to sleepers, people who you might want to grab that people don't know about. Snoozers are people who you might have on your roster that it's time to consider dropping. Let's talk about three defensemen who we're getting a lot of questions about. People asking whether it's time to drop these guys. One of them is Tori Krug on Boston, who is their top power play defenseman, but he only has five points in his last 14 games, which actually isn't horrible for a defenseman, definitely not what we were expecting from him. And I'm sure people are seeing lots of exciting people. We're getting questions about Shea Theodore. Should you drop Krug for Shea Theodore? You know, Krug is still taking a ton of shots on goal. He had five, five, and eight in his last three games, but nothing is going in. And with all these other Bruins scoring, it is kind of disappointing to have Krug not doing anything for you. Someone in a similar vein, Keith Yandel, who we expected a lot of offense from this year. One of our patrons, Preston, asked pretty blatantly on our Facebook group, does Keith Yandel suck? And actually, he has picked things up lately. He has three points in his last four games, but overall, 26 points in 49 games. Actually, that is a good season. I don't know why everyone's asking about if Yandel sucks. I guess they expected so much. Back when he was on Arizona, he was getting, you know, 60-point paces, so this isn't exactly that, but I'm going to actually answer for you, Brian, and say I don't think that Yandel is a snoozer, but then maybe someone who I definitely do think is a snoozer is Dan Boyle, who we got excited about. Wasn't very great at the beginning, but then he went on this really nice run. He was on the top power play, and we were thinking he was definitely someone you should pick up. Now I think it's time, if you still have him, to drop Dan Boyle. He was actually healthy scratched for a game. The coach said he thought he was being tired lately, so maybe, I don't know, after the All-Star break and he'll have a rest, maybe he will have a resurgence, but I'd rather just wait and have him on free agency to be available to pick up rather than have him on my roster. Yeah, I'll take this one at a time, but I think you covered the key points. Elon Krug's shots make me hold the faith that everything's going to be okay with him. I know his production might not be exactly what anyone who drafted him was 
really hoping for this season. They might have been hoping for him to be on a half point per game pace or more at this point of the season, which he isn't. 22 points in 48 games played so far. But with all the shots he's taking, his shooting percentage has gone down a little bit from the past season. So hopefully he can pick up a few more goals than he has in the first two thirds of the season or so. Yandel, on the other hand, is somebody I've owned and who was incredibly disappointing. I think anyone who owns Yandel knows that he has been a liability to have on your roster so far this season. Yes, if you look at his total for the year, it looks like everything is uh, reasonably okay. 26 points in 49 games above a half point per game, which is really good. But there have been long droughts in between there, frustrations and lack of power play time. The shots on goal just are not coming anywhere close to what they were back in his days as a Coyote. But recently, he is starting to make amends. Six points in his last 10 games. And again, the whole season picture looks okay, but on a week-to-week basis, he's been a letdown fairly frequently. So hopefully, he can get some consistency going. And even better, hopefully, he can get himself a ticket out of New York, where they don't seem to like the natural talent that he brings and want to put him in some other kind of system where he doesn't necessarily flourish the way that we've seen him flourish for so many years. I think a trade would help his value a whole lot, but it's nice to see him still producing at a relevant pace, even in a difficult situation. And finally, Dan Boyle. Yes, old man Boyle needs a rest. He's off that top power play for the time being. And you know, Vigneault has really shown a lot of loyalty to his guys in Stahl, Girardi, and McDonough. And I think that's where his loyalty is going to stay. Boyle might get turns on the power play still, but even for the moments that he was getting a lot of power play QB time, he wasn't always taking advantage of them. I'm not a really big fan of him in a league where you're counting on multiple categories, or if you're really struggling to win in the points category, because with Boyle, it's sort of feast or famine if he's on that power plane succeeding, or if he's not on that power plane not succeeding. And that's not really a risk I'd like to run a little bit too small of a margin for error with him in that roster spot. And hopefully there is somebody better in free agency to replace him with. So you would drop Boyle for Shea Theodore, I assume? Yeah, I would absolutely make that move. Wouldn't think twice. Okay, and speaking of the older players, a couple of older players that I think might be snoozers, I'm not sure. This one might be controversial, Brian, but Yarmir Yager. Okay, I have to say he had 10 points in nine games in October and eight points in 12 games in November. So he was basically a point per game player two months into the season but lately he's really slowed down he actually only has one point one assist in his last six games and during that span only three shots on goal he's also off the top power play I see in the last game for the Panthers they were going with Barkov, Bjugstad, Huberdo, and Riley Smith on the top unit and then Yager with UC Jokin and Logan Shaw and Vincent Trocek so I think that hurts him a lot he's still on the top line with Huberdo and Barkov so you would think he should be able to bounce back but I wonder if you know this point per game pace that he was on at the beginning of the year definitely doesn't seem like he's going to be capable of getting back to that but do you think he's still worthwhile to be owning in you know a deepish league like I have him in the cupful and you know he's still 100% owned in ESPN I can't drop a guy who's 100% owned can I even though I've been seeing guys like Jacob Silverberg and Sam Bennett you know these players who were doing so well, but, you know, I'm holding on to Yager, and he's not doing anything, but could he bounce back? Right now, Yager is probably a depth forward on your roster, but he still has the upside that some of your free agent options might not have to be a better contributor to your fantasy team, and we've sort of seen this movie before. Last year in New Jersey, he started off not quite as strong as he has in Florida, but as strong as he could have on last year's New Jersey Devils team. 
He had 15 points to start the season in 24 games, and then there was a bit of a valley through December and January and February until he picked it up again towards the end of the season, ending with 18 points in his last 19 games. So maybe this is what happens to him at his age, you know, the wear and tear of the season grows on him, and then he might still have a run to give towards the end of the year, but for now, I think this is probably one of the harder times of the year for any older NHL player to play, and you're seeing that effect on the score sheet. At least that's my best theory for what's happening, because I'm not ready to write him off as a fantasy contributor for the rest of the year. Okay, yeah, I think I'm going to hold on for a while longer. You're right, he has so much upside, and hey, I'm in first place. I don't need to be <laughs> worried about, you know, getting every little point from every little game. I'm going to hold on and hope Yager could help me in the long run. The other older player I wanted to mention is Shane Doan, and maybe this is a bit premature, but I know we talked about Shane Doan and his great run he was having before. He's only had two pointless games in a row right now, but I think I'm ready to call him a snoozer, not only because of these two games of no production, but his shots on goal are down. You know, during that amazing run he had where he was scoring in almost every game, he was also taking like four or five shots per game. He's only had two or one or zero shots in all of his last five games. Also, it looks like he's off the top power play in his last two games. He's been bumped to the second unit, while the top unit has been Hansel, Duclair, Domi, and Bodker. So I feel like with Doan not being on the top unit, also his minutes are down. He was playing like 20 minutes a game for a while while Hansel was out. And Brian, I guess you correctly predicted that with Hansel back, Doan's production would go down. He was able to still put in a couple of good games to maybe fool us into thinking he could keep it up. But it does seem to me like if you could sell high on Doan, now's the time to do it because I don't expect the run to continue now that he's off the top power play and getting less minutes and also not shooting as much. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, I'm not really completely ready to tie a neat little bow on Doan and say that this run of production is over. I still think if it does continue a little longer, it will be over eventually. But the signs just from the last two games are not terribly positive. No points. Like you said, Elon declining ice time, declining power play role. It is heading into the All-Star break and I feel like the end of the All-Star break is almost the start of a second season. So we'll see where he's deployed then. If, you know, refreshed and rejuvenated Shane Doan is ready to take on a bigger role again. But with Hansel back in the lineup, there's just not as much space for him to do that and you should be watching him as a candidate on your lineup to swap out for a more promising free agent in the near future yeah like if you recall i was talking about how i got Ehlers with my amazing seven dollar bid and the couple it was dropping Doan. he's the guy who i dropped to pick him up so we'll see if that works out for me and okay brian to close out the show i want to mention a couple of interesting line combination shifts that have happened we have to go to dallas let's not get too excited no one go crazy but in dallas's last game valerie nichushkin was back on the top line with tyler saying and Jamie Benn. And as you'd predict, he got a point. He had an assist. So if you're the type of fantasy player who really likes to make these moves whenever the lines change, that's obviously a great position for Nichushkin to be in. Don't forget this has happened before a couple of times in the year. There was one time where people really went crazy because there was like three games in a row and he also put in a lot of points during that stretch. He could easily be off the top line any game now, but while he's there, he's probably worth owning. Though, just keep in mind, he's not on the top power play. Hardly getting any power play time at all, actually. So Nichushkin, just someone to watch. And yeah, if you can stream him for a game or two while he's on the top line, you could probably do a lot worse. You said a couple times this year, Elon, that seems like a severe understatement. It's more like, to me, I feel like it's upwards of 10, 12 times in the last two years that this has happened and we're at the point where I can't really get excited about it anymore. Even if he stays there for two or three games, I feel like by the time I'm ready to make any kind of move for him, his run up there will be over. I feel like a lot of pulleys have been burned enough already by 
his rises and falls through the Dallas depth chart. But all that said, if there aren't transaction limits and you have someone on your team that you really want to drop and there's nobody else in free agency that you want to add, then why not Valerie Nichushkin? Sure. <laughs> playing on that line, almost any player would get points. John Scott would probably do pretty well playing on the top line with Jamie Benn and Tyler Sagan. I know he's the hot topic right now, so I had to at least mention him on this podcast. Nice. So topical. I would have also added that in the past, we've added guys like Cody Eakin and Colton Sevier and Patrick Eves for playing up there. So yeah, why not Valerie Nichushkin or John Scott? <laughs> and maybe a more sustainable promotion to the top line. Calgary has finally brought Yuri Hoodler back to where his fantasy owners hoped that he would be and where they assumed he belonged. The last couple of games, Hoodler has been playing on the top line with Gojo and Monahan. He's also been back on the top power play. So, you know, Hoodler came back from injury and he was really like, he was even playing on the third line at one point. Really seemed like he didn't have much fantasy value. But if you held on, now is the time where we should expect him to at least somewhat approach what he did last year. He's definitely not going to be a 70-point player in the second half of the year like he was last year, but he's in a good position now. Basically, the best position you can be on on the Calgary Flames. So I would expect better things for Yuri Hoodler in the second half if he could stick there, and I don't see why he wouldn't. And if you're a big believer of contracts being motivators for a player to play well, well, Yuri Hoodler could be your second-half guy. His contract expires at the end of the season. $4 million made him seem underpaid last year. It's making him seem well, maybe about appropriately paid this year. If he wants to get any more, he's going to have to do better than he's doing right now. I'm not saying I necessarily buy into that. I feel like Hoodler is going to want to put in his best performance no matter what. But if you have your own theories and your own anecdotal evidence about this really motivating a player, then Yuri Hoodler could be one of your targets. And Elon, just before we close out, I'd like to mention... Dougie Hamilton has just become a fairly regular producer on that Calgary blue line after just five points in 24 games to start the year. He now has 14 points in his most recent 24 games. He's putting up a couple shots most games. His ice time is still up and down a little bit. His power play ice time is also up and down a little bit. But overall, he has evolved into a reasonably consistent producer. If he's still wallowing away on your free agent list, he might be worth adding if you're looking for depth on defense. Okay, and that's going to do it for this episode of Keeping Carlson. But before we go, let's just give a bit of a preview for what's coming, right? We've got the trade deadline coming up, which is February 29th. So we're going to have a lot of rumors swirling around. We're going to try to give you some insight. You know, we don't want to speculate on this show. We like to talk about what's actually happening. But, you know, as trades are happening, or as rumors are happening, hopefully we'll be able to give you some insight on which players you might want to hold on to, even if they're not doing well, because they might get traded. So we're very excited for the next few episodes of Keeping Carlson. Of course, when the trade deadline happens, we are going to be covering all of the trades. It's going to be a lot of fun. Definitely be subscribed to us on iTunes or whatever podcatching application you use. And of course, also I'll say again, we have our huge extravaganza live show next Thursday, February 4th, 7.30pm on Blab. We'll post the link on the show notes of this episode at KeepingCarlson.com. We'll also tweet it out a few times. We'll let you know if we could confirm any special guests, but it's going to be a lot of fun, so you should definitely try to join us. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, let us know on Twitter at KeepingCarlson. You might also want to follow us. We've been tweeting a lot, having a lot of fun on Twitter, and plus you're going to need a Twitter account in order to join our live show on Blab. Of course, if you would be so kind as to give us a five-star review on iTunes if you haven't done so yet, that's a great way to support the show. Another way to support the show is to become a patron. You can check that out, keepingcarlson.com slash patron. But with that, Brian, let's cue the outro music. 
And why don't you go ahead and read us the credits? All right. This episode of the Keeping Carlson Fantasy Hockey Podcast was presented by Dauber Hockey and supported by our patrons. It was researched with help from Dauber Hockey, Frozen Pool, War on Ice, Hockey Analysis, Yahoo Sports, Roto World, and ESPN Fantasy Hockey. Great job as always, Brian. I'm looking forward to talking to you live next Thursday. It's going to be great. We hope every listener comes out. Remember, this is for everybody. Publicly available. Make sure you're there. February fourth 7 30 p.m to 9 p.m eastern time hope to see you there until then keep on keeping carl son